0: be a provincial election here in the next few days. And so I just want to say a couple of things and then pray before we look into God's word. We encourage you to be part of the democratic process. It's an incredible privilege to live in a country where you can express yourself, where you can vote freely without coercion. And uh, we thank God for the privilege of living and and thriving in a country that allows this and and you know we never we never say oh you should vote for this party we would never do that we just invite you to say who has Christ created me to be and then vote and act and live like we would in any part of life in light of biblical principle and biblical leading and this is always the best way so be involved be engaged go out and vote let me pray with you Father, thank you so much for that fact that we live here in such a great country. And we thank you for those politicians, Father, that are running or have been serving. And uh, I think the vast bulk of them have just good hearts and are trying to move things to the best of their ability down the court. I pray that as they face really a, a significant undertaking, that this would drive them to you, that this would invite them to you, That they would see that even though they might be good people and trying their best, we're all woefully inadequate. And that might have them turn to you and look to you for leading and direction. So we pray for your will to be done in this election. We invite you to be and know that you're in charge of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And as we look into your word now, we pray that you would speak as only you can. We invite you to do this in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We're concluding a series of messages today in the book of Song of Songs, or some people call it the Song of Solomon, and I would contend that this book is God's redemptive statement based on the cross, based on communion and what we've celebrated about the issues of sex, sexuality, and marriage, that really, in part, we really mess that stuff up in the garden and God said let me make a redemptive statement and give some redemptive instruction about sex sexuality and marriage and so we've been talking in this series about uh, people preparing for marriage if God leads them in that direction or the reality of being in marriage and really going into a deeper and healthier place in that marriage relationship and so today as we ta- as we wrap this series We want to talk again about the covenantal relationship, and we want to talk about the differences between what we intend to do and what we actually do. And in almost every relationship, there's this significant gap between what I intend to do and what I actually do do or did do and people don't in my experience they don't enter the marriage relationship thinking you know my secret agenda in this relationship is to be a jerk to be a loser to be the weaker half of this dynamic duel i find that people typically even though they might go into it with some level of self-doubt typically have some high hopes in the relationship and they think of themselves as going in and saying i'm going to be a positive contributor To this relationship but you know life happens and things happen and 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 stuff happens and I'm thinking back to a time when Debbie and I were first married when I just really ticked her off as newly married couple and I know all of you are thinking I just find that impossible to believe about Scott but but actually it did happen and it all came from the fact that growing up her experience in the home was that her dad would go And he would empty every garbage pail in the house every day. And I mean that literally. He would do it absolutely every day. Now, I don't think Debbie probably expected me to do it absolutely every day. But she did expect me to empty the garbages. And when I grew up... I had a list of things that I did, contributing chores and stuff in the household, but that was not one of the jobs that I did growing up. And so frankly, the idea of going around (laughs) emptying the garbages uh, just never crossed my mind. And so shortly into our marriage, she sent me to re-education camp, and now all of these years later, I've even been known to take the garbage out once in a blue moon. Having said that, With that garbage thing, I've often intended to do things, but I don't always follow through. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, it's interesting that we tend to judge other people by their actions, but we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions. Think about that with me. We tend to judge others by what we at least perceive to be their actions, and we may not have an accurate perception of their actions, But we like to judge ourselves by our intentions. And so in this little talk, what I want to do is is just say, how can we help close the gap between what I intend to do and what I actually do do? Between what I intend to do and what I actually end up doing. And so just three very simple ideas. But I believe there's incredible power in simplicity that some people... You know, we we tend to try and make things extremely complex. And there's actually incredible power in simplicity. And sometimes we use complexity as a reason not to do the most important things. As an excuse not to. So the first one of these three things is, and and we see this all through this text, this book we've been looking at, is say it. Very simple, say it. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Song of Songs. Again, found right in the middle of your Bible to the right of Psalms, to the left of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And it's this little eight-chapter book, Song of Songs. It's a love story or a series of love poems between Solomon and the Shulamite. And once in a while, their friends make observations about their relationship. And listen to how Solomon says it in these opening verses. He says, so he's writing... First of all, in the first chapter, first verses of chapter seven, he says about the Shulamite, How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabin. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O oh love with your delights your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit i said i will climb the palm tree i will take hold of its fruit may your breasts be like the clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine all through this book We've seen example after example of Solomon saying it. And he doesn't just... Now, the passage I read about is really talking about her physical attributes. But that's not the whole story. If you read the whole book in the first talk or two we did in this series, he talks about other qualities, first of all, that he appreciates about her as a person. But in this passage, he's talking about her physical qualities almost exclusively. But here's the the big idea, if you read through the book... He is saying over and over again, if you think something good about your spouse, say it. If you think something good about them, say it, because there's life-giving power in the tongue. There's the power of life. And conversely and quite sadly, in the tongue there's also the power of death, isn't there? The power to hurt, the power to scar. And Solomon understands this. And I, I think I remember reading somewhere that he was a pretty wise guy. And what he's saying is, listen, if you want a better marriage, if you want a better, if you're in a dating relationship, if you want a, a better dating relationship, choose to speak life-giving words. Life-giving words. And it's so simple, We all and yet we forget to do it so often. And we're in a relationship with a person and we begin to take them for granted. And even though we might be thinking some positive, healthy things, we don't really say them. And so we tend to then start picking on the things that disturb us about them a little bit. And we tear them down and we criticize them in a destructive way. And we wonder why the relationship starts to be poisoned. And I just ask rhetorically, how do you talk to the one that you love? Here's a challenge. Every time you think something positive about your spouse, have the courage to say it. Decide, I am not going to rob them of that thought. And that's kind of what we're doing, isn't it? When we don't say it, I am not going to rob them of that thought. God, help me to remember to say it. To say it, to spray it, to text it, to WhatsApp it, to email it, to phone it, whatever. I am going to bless them by saying it. And this is what Solomon does. If you read through the book, I I might categorize him with two words. He's a master complimenter. He's a master complimenter. He doesn't just think these things. He actually articulates these things. He says these things. And some of you are just sitting there going, you know, Scott, that's so simple that might even work. If you remember in the opening messages, he compliments her about a number of her qualities, and he also talks about her uh, physicality a little bit. And one of the things he talks about in terms of and the way he does it with her physicality when when it, when it comes to that part in later in chapter one is he starts with her eyes and moves down her body. And, and this time in this chapter he starts with her feet and moves up her body. And one of the things that's very interesting to me is in verse six he uses the expression, oh love. And it makes me think of what we often say as couples to one another. We will say I love you. Love you. I'm off to work now. Love you. And even when people don't have a great marriage, they'll, you know, kind of throw the dog a bone once in a while and lob that one in once in a while. You know, I guess I'm supposed to say this. Love you. Can I change the dynamic of that just a little bit? It's very simple. And it just comes by adding one little simple word. Instead of saying, love you, or I love you, say, I love you because. I love you because. And then fill in the blank. And just do it a little differently every time. I love you because you're my best friend. You know, I've got a few friends but I, I can be vulnerable with you and you're not going to condemn me. I can be transparent. I can tell you things that I've never told another human being and I can trust you with those things. So I love you because you're my best friend. I love you because I enjoy spending time with you more than any other human being. And yet maybe not all of our interests are the same, but some of them are. And I love just spending time time with you i love you that once or twice in your life when you actually took the garbage out i love you when you you know bake my favorite cookies i love you because you're just i've been watching you and you're just the best mom like i'm so proud of the things you're building into our children that you're illustrating for our children i love you because i'm uh, fashion challenge, and you help me pick the right colors, and my embarrassment level is minimized when I go out in public. I love you because of these different reasons, and fill in the plank. And, you know, if you think about human nature, when people don't hear something positive, what do we typically do? We often assume the opposite. And so f- just by way of example, you, you know, the one spouse puts a lot of effort into something and the other spouse doesn't bother to acknowledge it in any way. What does that second spouse often do? They often assume, well, I guess they didn't like it. I guess because they didn't even mention it, even though I knew they know I put a lot of time into that, I must have missed something or I did it wrong or I screwed it up somehow. And this is kind of human nature, isn't it? This is kind of the way we roll a little bit. And when nothing is said, it's it's just quite typical human nature to get nervous. And so I think when I read through this book, I think Solomon's just saying, listen, when I think positive and healthy and appropriate things about you, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to just say it out loud. And I'm going to tell you why I love you. And, I, and it may even come across as a little cheesy once in a while. But who cares? Because I love you and here's why. And he, he's a master complimenter. And so he's telling us to say it, spray it, text it, WhatsApp it, email it, whatever. And what happens? Very interesting reaction. Now she's talking in verse 10 and she says this, I belong to my lover. I belong to my lover. This is not like a slave type of situation. This is, this is a, a voluntary surrender. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. The Hebrew word there for desire is he is pursuing me. And remember the context of this whole book is that she doesn't feel used She doesn't feel manipulated when she says that she belongs to him, and it's a mutual belonging, by the way. She doesn't feel used. She doesn't feel manipulated. She feels loved. She feels beautiful. She feels cherished. She feels honored. Because he has given her life. And it given life and expressed the good things that he's thinking. Now, someone says, well, Scott, you don't know my spouse very well. You know, there's not a lot of good things to say. Um, My words to you would probably be, then why don't you talk about the things you'd really like to see and then latch on to, you know, latch on to anything that is even remotely good. So, for example, if you're a, a, a lady here and, and you're going, wow, I really wish that my husband would take more of an interest in developing the spiritual atmosphere in our home, and uh, all I see is the things he doesn't do, and he just doesn't engage with anything, and it seems like it's all put on me, it seems unfair, and, and he's not pulling his weight at all. Um, Rather than focus on all that, which is the natural tendency, I understand that. Why don't you say, I noticed that he prayed for the meal yesterday in that restaurant. And just zero in on that and latch onto that and encourage him, not only publicly, private, privately as well. I so appreciated you praying that way. Thanks for doing it. Say it. Secondly, do it. Do it. If you think of something special to do together or for them, then do it. Again, man, you go, man, this is so simple. It actually works, folks. If you think of something special to do with them or to do for them, do it. Craig Groeschel calls it purposeful time. Purposeful time. If you think about something special to do or for them or together with them, don't just think about it, actually do it. So here's what, she, here's what her response to all his um, being a master complimenter is. She says in verse 11, she says, Come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. And so she's saying, let's go, let's book a bed and breakfast somewhere. Let's book a hotel room. Let's use our tent, whatever the case may be. But let's spend some time away from everybody together. Just the two of us, no kids around. And I would, as your pastor, I would encourage every couple here, at least once a year, at least once a year, get together and get away together one or two or three nights or whatever, just the two of you, without any kids, without any distractions. Leave your phone at home if you have to right now i can imagine how many people are thinking all the reasons why they can't do it and i would suggest i'd say just set those all aside and i would suggest that you can't afford not to do it because it's been my experience that when you take some dedicated effort into your relationship that this sets up the best environment for something special to take place, for a deepening of the life. And I understand uh, that life is chaotic, that it's go, go, go. I get it. I absolutely do. But when it's just you and your spouse, you create the best atmosphere to reconnect at at a deeper level, at a healthier level. And so Craig says, he calls it purposeful time. And the Shulamite understands this. And so she says, let's go away, just the two of us, and have some time together. And I wonder how many marriages would be saved. I wonder how many would be at least incrementally made better. If people, and here's a novel idea, if people actually made their relationship a priority. Think about it. said you know we're going to go and we're going to laugh together and we're going to get lost driving wherever it is and we're going to laugh about getting lost and we're going to pray together and we're going to eat together and we're going to celebrate together and then she says in verses 12 and 13 so she says let's book the bed and breakfast out in the village somewhere in one of the villages and it says in 12 and 13 she says let's get up early let's go early to the vineyards so they're going for a walk in the vineyards to see if the vineyards have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. let smell the fragrance, and then I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both old and new, that I have stored up for you, my lover. This is her reaction. So they go out into the vineyards, and they make love together have intercourse together as husband and wife out in the countryside somewhere. Now, of course, this is in the day before Google Earth, so you're going to want to be kind of careful about that. But she says, let's go, I belong to you, you belong to me, and let's spend time together, and let's make love together as husband and wife. And then she talks about these thoughtful acts in verse 13. Mandrakes, we said earlier in the service that raisins, and you can Google this, that raisins are were, were and still are considered an aphrodisiac as are mandrakes. And so she's put on these thoughtful, she's engaged in these thoughtful actions for her husband. What could I do that they would appreciate? I'm not just going to think about this stuff. I'm actually going to do it. Even if it doesn't really appeal to me, I'm actually going to do it. You know, just a day or two ago, I'm on Facebook, and a young woman who came to Christ in this church, was baptized in this church, and then uh, I can't remember when she got married, if it was here or up in Edmonton. She moved up to Edmonton, and uh, she's been married a few years, got a, a couple of little wee kids, and uh, there's a picture And the caption, she says this. She says, there's a picture of her husband in a car room uh, dealership in the showroom. And he's walking around, and she's kind of got it in black and white. She's quite artistic. And she says, here's what, I can't quote it, but she said this. She goes, you know, I'm not really into cars at all. I don't really care about them, blah, blah, blah. But she said, but Josh does. And so I'm here with Josh. And I'm spending time with him. And it makes me so happy to see that he's happy. And I went, ah. There's a young woman who gets it. Who gets it. Don't just think about something special. Doing it with them or doing it for them. Do it. Think of something special to say, say it. Think of something special to do, do it. And then I'm going to conclude with sort of the premise that we've been working with all through this series, that we see woven all through this book, and this is the idea of be it. Be it. Don't demand that your spouse be what's different, which is our typical response. Instead, decide, I will be what's different. I will serve my spouse as Christ served the church and gave himself up for the church, it says in Ephesians 5. And we've seen this on, illustrated in the relationship of Solomon and the Shulamite. We are going to be different. They've made this obvious commitment. And I, I understand that marriage, you know, it... it It's it's a two-tier partnership or whatever. There's the husband and the wife, and they both need to work together. But as a man, let me just speak to the men here for a second. Is that okay? Can I do that? And, And I understand that the women have great responsibility, huge responsibility. But as a man, I just think we are deeply biblically invited to lead forward. Lead forward to what God wants you to have. I think it works best that way, and that this is a biblical model. And someone has said, and I think there's some real truth in this, that women are just incredibly capable. And they're multipliers. This was the observation. That they take whatever they're given in a way that's, I think, better in many ways than men. But they, 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 women tend to multiply things. And so if you treat them well, they will multiply that in return. And if you treat them bad even though they're often very patient and very forgiving, if you treat them bad, they will tend to eventually multiply, giving you a hard time in return. And I say to people sometimes, I'm going to say it to you, if you don't like what you're getting in your relationship, maybe it's time to take a hard look at what you're giving to the relationship. We always want to make it all about them. Oh, they've changed. That's not what I signed up for. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. Typically, you can't change them. And really, the focus is all on, God, what do you want to do in me? And so you can pray for them. You can serve them. You can be a blessing to them. You can be it. Now, I know there's a sizable percentage of you that are mad at me right now. You don't know what it's like in my home, Dixon. It's complicated. I recognize that. And I know if, if there's abuse or you're being lied to, or, or those, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. But you can't control them, can you? But you can stand before God And do what he puts into your heart to do, to be different. You know, when I look at what the world, the secular world, considers normal in marriage, I'm not interested at all. Not interested in the least in that. I don't want that for Debbie and I. I don't want that for my daughter who's getting married in six days. Not interested in that at all. I don't want that for the marriages of our church. And so we've talked in this series about a very different approach. You know, it's just people look at me and you're kind of wacky, Dixon, saying this stuff. I've talked about a very different approach, the biblical approach. Which says very clearly and very openly and unapologetically, God says no sex outside of marriage. And he has very good reasons for this. Very good reasons. And I've talked with lots of people, and the case studies prove this book to be true. And so God says sex should only be, and it's a good gift from him, created by him, it should be expressed within a, a covenant, heterosexual, monogamous relationship. So that's between one man and one woman. Bible is crystal clear about this. And lots of good reasons for that because he wants what's best for us. That the focus should be on what God wants to do in me, and what he wants me to become, rather than, less so than on who I'm choosing. Choosing good is a good thing to do, obviously, but more important, what does God want me to become? To say that we're going to pray together that when we fight and there will be disagreements and there will be fights but I'm not going to be vicious in the fighting. I'm not going to be out to win. I'm not going to be out to triumph. I'm not going to be out to dominate. I'm going to fight when I fight with my spouse with resolution in mind. I'm going to fight constructively. I'm going to fight in a humble way where I actually own my stuff. And can I just say to you uh, our marriage isn't perfect, but I never, I never dreamed marriage could be so good. And so if both of you want to serve Christ, if you serve one another, you can experience blessing greater than you could ever imagine. But it never happens by accident. It takes significant intentionality. It takes seeking God. It takes surrendering to his will. So I close with this beautiful picture that the Shulamite woman paints in chapter 8. And before I read this verse, just remember the context again, that that she has been loved, she has been cherished, she's been honored, and then she says this in verse 6, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Love burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. So she says, place me like a seal over your heart. You are mine, Solomon, forever, and I am yours. You are mine, and I am yours. My desire is for you. I want to serve God together with you forever. And that is my pledge to you, Debbie.